listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. We'll start most Mondays with a takeaway from one of the three big games. Because we, on Wednesday, at bottom of the hour, 6.30 Eastern, we usually preview, in fact, we always do, the big three coming up from the weekend. So those are the games that have the most interest, so we talk about them first on Wednesday. Now it feels right that we talk about one of those three games on Monday with a takeaway we would take a bet on. So let's start there. And that was the big game in the late window on Fox in Tampa Bay. The Packers had an early 10-0 lead, but after that, it was all Tampa Buccaneers all over the Green Bay Packers, 38-10 the final yesterday. And coincidentally, Fez, the game he was so right on, has a takeaway (laughs) on this game. Go ahead, Fez. All right. It's obvious Tampa played their best game of the year. We've said that already. Yeah, what's not so obvious, you know, I'm going to give Green Bay a little bit of a pass in this game. This is a situation in Green Bay that even their head coach. Steve, what's your takeaway? My takeaway is LaFleur, even the coach of Green Bay said, hey, this was a bad practice week. So my takeaway is that Green Bay, I'm not going to downgrade very much, even though they got crushed, RJ, when your own coach tells you, hey, we didn't execute. We We practiced like crap all week long, and that's why we played like crap. I can't downgrade Green Bay too much. Okay, so would you say, and here's the thing about a complex mind, is you got to consider a lot of things at once, and it's weird how the people, you know, they talk about uh, President Reagan, right? At the time, Reagan was considered to be like a dumb Republican and all that, but in hindsight, you know, Reagan's rated pretty high on the list of presidents, uh, you know, even the ones where there's a bunch of voting from the historians and stuff, and they say the reason Reagan was such an effective president was it was the hedgehog theory that he knew one or two things really well, like, you know, communism is bad. And though he didn't have all the things on the fringe that maybe other presidents considered, he stuck to that. Fez in this example are the others. He's the opposite of a hedgehog. He's got a lot of things in his mind at once. So would you say that with this Tampa Green Bay game that your takeaway is more about Green Bay shouldn't really be held all that accountable? Or should it be that Tampa isn't as good as they look? That this Tampa Bay team is overrated because they look so good and it really was the situation? Tampa Bay is massively overrated because of that situation against Green Bay. Now everyone's talking, oh, Tampa Bay is a contender. RJ, I am not buying it. Tampa's the team I'm going to be looking to bet against selectively going forward. Okay, that makes sense to me. I think looking at the Super Bowl odds, you could make the case that Tom Brady's getting a lot of love because we mentioned, okay, who's the favorites to win the Super Bowl? So why don't we go down that list first? Uh, Kansas City is the favorite. What's their current odds? Plus 430. All right, so 100 wins you 430. Second favorite, Baltimore. Plus 575. Seattle. 7 to 1. And the Pittsburgh Steelers. 11 to 1. Okay. Now, Green Bay and Tampa come after that, and, and they're tied. What's the payoff? 12 to 1. Okay. So, right there. But Pittsburgh literally ahead of Tampa, Pittsburgh ahead of Green Bay. But the fact that Tampa's even right there, and they've got two losses, I mean, that's a, if Brady, if this was Winston at quarterback with the exact same game results, exact same stats, they would not be tied with Green Bay right now. Would you, you agree with that? 
Yeah, it's a great point because they wouldn't have been Tampa would not be thought of being any better than say the New Orleans Saints, but because you got TB back there, they're getting a heck of a lot of respect. And by the way, we don't have any sound effects for this, but Tom Brady yesterday officially became the winningest quarterback in NFL history, 43 years or older. Three wins. It's Tom Brady with three. <laughs> Vinny Testavord, Vinny, <laughs> Vinny T with two wins. And no other player in the history of the globe has won an NFL game as a quarterback, 43 or older. So Brady has more than the rest of the world combined right now. Think about that. And he had zero six weeks ago. That's how rarefied this air is. And that's why I think this father time discussion is fascinating, Jonas, because if you think about it, it's two gravitational pulls going in the opposite direction. I think that's how black holes are created. It rips the actual universe is on one hand, you've got Brady in a new system with the trend line in a COVID year going to be up, up, up because he gets more and more familiar with his team They've gotten healthier on offense, which is another angle you could take is they look good because of how healthy they are. But on the other hand, you've got Brady's at an age that every day that passes, he's the best ever at quarterback at that age. And it's not even close. But does that mean it's a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl? Because he will be months and months older at that point. And we all think about it as years, right? Oh, he's 43 this year. He's 44. But every day you're, you know, one divided by 365 additionally older of that year. And it's not like it just jumps in the offseason. And that's why sometimes with an old quarterback, they look much worse at the end of the year. Some of it's they're beat up, but some of it is they're just four months older. And at a certain point, when you hit the wall, you hit the wall. What do you look at, Jonas, as the big story in with the Tampa Bay team? If you looked at the whole season or anything about the game. I look at it, and I want. I'm curious to see if you did uh, just a by game comparison. The difference between last year and this year, it feels less like the Tampa Bay Bucks we saw a year ago, where they're going down the field and throwing the ball deep and doing all this. And they sort of resemble to me a little bit more like the Patriots in the fact that Tom Brady's not really being asked to do a whole lot, especially yesterday. He wasn't being asked to do a whole lot. The defense played so well and was so good, and they run the ball effectively. They ran the ball effectively uh, a week and a half ago on Thursday Night Football. They ran for over mm. 100 yards in that game. It just it feels like this is more resembling the New England team each and every week that Tom Brady played for than this quote-unquote Bruce Arians era it out, uh, no risk it, no biscuit offense that we saw Jameis Winston run last year. Jameis Winston, you know, threw for over 5,000 yards. He threw for, you know, over 30 touchdowns. I don't think Brady's going to come close to throwing to five, near 5,000 yards, and I think he's okay with it, and I think they're going to be a lot more effective because of it. I think if you look at last year's New England team, it's easy to look back in hindsight and dismiss them as a playoff loser. They were 8-0. Yeah, there's not many teams that get to be eight and zero in the history of the NFL. So now the question is, what happened? And a lot of people, and I've said this once before, within the insiders in New England, said there were open receivers. Brady was just not comfortable with them because he wasn't familiar with them. Now you might think, well, wait a minute. If you come into a new team, 
especially as players get off the injury list or, you know, playing full throttle where maybe they were hindered before, you think it's going to take some time. Or maybe it's just Brady realizes, wait, these guys are pro bowl level guys and I just got to trust them where the unknown names before maybe he didn't trust. Maybe getting out of New England made him more comfortable about taking some risks. Who knows? But it strikes me that when the season started, we said however good Tampa Bay is now, they're going to be better in a month. They're going to be better in another month, et cetera. It's pretty much shown that, that that's correct, that, that, that this was the best team we've seen. And, you know, the case could be made. And we actually have some sound on this. And let's listen. Fez talked about that LaFleur said, you know, hey, maybe some of this was on us. Because remember, the, the premise of Fez is Tampa Bay looked great. And they're, they're good, but they're just not that great. And why would that be? Well, Green Bay, I think, was in a spot that they were flat. I didn't think they would be. But let's listen to the sound on the floor after the game. Our practice this past week was not up to our standard that, uh, you know, these guys have, have developed over the last year and a half. And, you know, that that's what happened today. You know, you, you practice like crap and then you go out and play like crap. Now, that's pretty strong for a team that had zero losses 24 hours ago or so. To be talking like that feels like the whole rift that was there with Rodgers is probably somewhat still there. Because do you really, after all the good feeling of he's back, or was it petty in a way of like, oh, it's not that Aaron's so prepared, but it was this other, you know, it's me, LaFleur. Who knows, right? But, Jonas, you are great at translating coaches. and you That felt strong, didn't you think? Yeah, I felt strong. I actually – we were doing the show last night, Brady Quinn and I, and I actually took it as a good sign because Aaron Rodgers said the same exact thing. They both had the same message mm. about how bad practice was. Here's what's alarming about it, though. That was coming off their bye week. They should have been fully rested, yep, that's uh, what fully I thought. prepared. And then to come out like that, and it was just – it wasn't so much that they lost. You lose at Tampa, they're a good team. That's one thing. It's the way they lost. It got ugly so quick. And at no point during that game, after Tampa got the lead, their first lead that they took, at no point did I ever think Green Bay had a shot at getting into it. And that's the part that's surprising. That's Jonas Knox. I'm RJ Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Also, Steve Fezzik. Steve, you were talking in production how there was a decision late in the game that made you think Green Bay had kind of thrown the towel in even too early. Yeah, Green Bay is down 21 late in the third quarter. They got fourth and eight from midfield. At that point, the only way you can win the game is to go for it. And they just uh, went ahead and punted, basically saying, you know what? It's not our day, RJ. White flag time. Which, again, you can make the case that that isn't the excuse why they came in flat. But I can see making a business decision. It's just it's all lined up with they didn't seem to care about this big game. And maybe, I mean, the Bears are winning. It's one thing if you're up for – there's only one bye in the whole conference. And you're, it's not like you've got – in fact, correct me if I'm wrong, they're tied with the Chicago right now, right? They are. No, uh, Chicago's a half game up on them. Oh, because they, so, they didn't have the bye, yeah. Good point. So, to me, if you lose this game, you're in second place. I'm not sure how you're flat after a bye. Yeah. So, I think that doesn't bode well. And also, let's be honest, with all the people bowing to Aaron Rodgers, it's one game. But, boy, oh, boy, 
you know, when you have five years of history that he's, you know, not an elite quarterback, and that's a generous way to say it. Then you have four games that he's super elite, and now a fifth game that he's not even close to elite. All of a sudden, are we sure we're wrong about Aaron Rodgers? And and did he have just a good run? I think something else is different, and I would expect the rest of his season to be better than last season, for example. But we're not sure. Just like we're not sure about Josh Allen. He had two years at a certain level, and then four or five games at another level. I tend to trust the two years, but when the four or five good games are all recently, now you got to weigh recency over that. And you know what? That's why this doesn't get boring. No matter how long you're a sports fan, things keep evolving. You keep learning. Fez keeps learning. I hope he's not using my own techniques against me, but he's won the Tampa Bay, 6-1 <laughs> and one with his Super 7. It's fascinating. Straight out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. So, RJ, the Houston Texans find themselves in the loss column yet again after an overtime defeat to the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee 42-36 to yesterday in Nashville. Ooh, and I, you want to talk about a bad beat. I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the, the uh, take in a second from Fez, but imagine if you had Houston plus three and a half which was out there like crazy, Fez, right? I mean, it was even higher at different points. Yes, and that actually was my one loss on my seven picks this week on the show. Is that right? Yes. So your one loss was one of the worst beats of the year. <laughs> now, that you got to feel pretty – I mean, now, also note that he's 6-1 and one, he's complaining still. But even <laughs> so, I think on that one it's fair because think about it. In fact, Fez, I'm going to give you 30 seconds – to, to just rant on not how much it makes you mad, because we know any loss makes you mad because you are greedy. But I'm talking about how unlikely it was that that plus three and a half didn't cash. Yeah, so Houston has the lead by one. It's the end of the game. They're driving for another score. And somehow Vrabel cheats and takes advantage of a loophole of the rules, takes an intentional penalty that essentially does not allow Houston to run quite enough clock off. Oh, wait, wait, and, wait, 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 wait. So what you're saying is somehow Vrabel outsmarted Romeo Cornell. <laughs> no doubt about it. But okay. Houston scores with about two minutes I mean, to go. That, go could be, that could be like elderly abuse, but it's not cheating. I mean, you can't <laughs> use the rules to cheat. You're That's right. an oxymoron. Then Romeo Cornell up seven, chooses to go for two, doesn't get it. Now, what do you think of that decision? I actually slightly agree with it. Boy, you're insane. But the funny thing is, if he goes for one, right, it, it's really almost impossible for you to lose at that point, right? Well, I guess, nope. let me see. If he goes for one. I could oh, still lose. But if, oh, but what's interesting is if he makes the two, you really can't lose at that point. Exactly. So I'm biased. That's why I was happy for him going for it. Because but Tennessee- Houston, because, because just to be clear, Houston was plus three and a half. And the only way to get there when you're down that much, seven or eight or nine, is going to be if uh, Tennessee scores and then they score again. But both scores need to be touchdowns. Yes. Effectively to lose. 
Yeah, so Tennessee does indeed come down. They get their touchdown. They get their two-point conversion. I don't even have to watch overtime. I, I've seen this movie before, and Tennessee, Derrick Henry, runs it in yeah, from so, uh, Wildcat, and I lose by six. Yeah, we don't need you to like announce the plays. Like, the Wildcat, that was the key, right? But here, here's the thing. Think about this, Jonas. And you don't cry about bad beats, but this one, I, I think there's some point to it, is if they make the two – you're pretty much locked in. You're 99%. So that's yeah. one coin flip that goes against you. Now, I don't know what the odds are of Tennessee coming back and scoring a touchdown, but it's certainly got to be worse than, than 50%. But, you know, to drive the whole field with limited time left. But that said, let's call that 50%. So that's another coin flip against you. Now, the extra point, let's assume that's fine. Now you've got to lose in overtime, which should be a coin flip. But now you've got to lose by a touchdown in overtime. So that's probably another coin flip, if not worse, right? Because of all the games that teams win, they only win by, in overtime, they win by a touchdown less than half that time, right? And, and yes, and you mentioned the coin flip. I, got, I have to lose the coin flip such that the Titans get the ball first in overtime. Well, to yeah, be you can really... still score. You can score a touchdown. I mean, but you're it becomes not be... much less likely, yes. Yeah, I know you want to get us in the weeds fast so we don't <laughs> understand what anyone's saying, but let's just maybe stick with the facts at least the obvious ones, even with just the coin flips, the odds are like 16 to 1 against. Yes. And I think that probably didn't give full credit to how unlikely this was. What do you think your odds were, this is the last thing on this, of covering that game at the point when Cornell decided to go for two? 93%. Yeah, I think even, even better than that. It was a tough one. But let's focus on your takeaway because this is one we teased where this is all time. So what we're talking about is a Houston team that's one and five. Now, the question is, how good are they? Because you could easily say their stats are pretty comparable to their opponents. And oh, by the way, their opponents are the Super Bowl favorites, right? Kansas City, Super Bowl um, number two, Baltimore. They play Pittsburgh, or I'm sorry, Tennessee plays Pittsburgh this week, who's you know on that list at number four. But but staying with Houston, Houston also played Pittsburgh, right? So number four, and then playing Tennessee, who's undefeated. I mean, this might be the hardest beginning of any schedule I've ever seen. In fact, we always say might be. This is the hardest schedule to begin a year that's ever happened. Does that sound right? It does, and that's a big reason why this is a 1-5 in five team in the uh, standings right now. And you conclude, though, how good are they really? I have Houston being my number 19 team, despite that 1-5 record. RJ, I've been doing power ratings for a long time. Houston could very well be the best 1-5 team I have seen in the NFL. <laughs> And I tell you, I mean, that's faint praise in a way. What's interesting is, Jonas, think about what the line was in this game. Is at different points during the week, you could have easily laid three. It it went up. I mean, you could have bet your house Tennessee minus three. Well, home field advantage right now is a point, a point and a half. I actually think it's up to a point and a half now. But And we can talk about that. Everyone was saying less than a point. Well, you know... But the idea that, okay, 
Tennessee should be laying, let's say, one and a half. They're laying three. That is just, okay, this Houston team is just, you know, one level below them. But you have an undefeated team that just dominated the Bills in front of the world. You got a team that just fired their coach and beat Jacksonville. That's that's the okay. Jacksonville is the win, and and you and that's another way to say it. Literally, a team that had only beaten the worst team in the NFL, some believe, before the Jets, right? Before the season, Fez, who was ranked lowest in your power ratings? Jacksonville. Jacksonville. So imagine you got a team that's you're in week six. And they've only beat the preseason worst team in the NFL. And somehow they're considered to be nearly as good as an undefeated team. Yep. So Fez is right. <laughs> Houston is as good, if not better, than any 1-5 team in history. But I also make the case that this was the ultimate overrated, underrated, where Tennessee, the market is saying, is massively overrated. To be... An undefeated team, and to be playing a team that literally has only beaten Jacksonville, and to just be a three-point favorite for much of the week, is a total indictment of and, and that it's fraudulent. Tennessee's record, and that Houston's record is the opposite of fraudulent, as in it's not the truth. The truth is they're much, much better. And Feds, I don't remember a game that if you just asked the public. What the line should be between an undefeated team and a one and four team at the time, the idea that the home team's three, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Yeah, it's a great point because everyone in the sports book is backing up the truck, betting on the Titans. It's so obvious, right? A four and O team, and you only had to lay three. Well, first off, that's not true at all. The wise guys were all over Houston. Yes, I'm talking about the public. Yes. Yeah, but publics usually don't back up trucks. Yeah. They come in, they take out, they got some Wrigley's gum, and and they bet 33, and, you know, the the last dollar is four quarters, right? That's who was betting, that's who was betting Tennessee, right? Yes. All right. And you, you were betting Houston. I was. And lost, loser. Six and one. Let me ask you a question, though. On the Super Contest, when you submitted your picks, didn't you have Tennessee as one of them? I did because it was three on the Super Contest, and the line had just blipped up to four, and I took the what I expected to be the closing line so value. You're, so what you're doing is you're crying about losing Houston, but somehow you would have won if Houston had lost on the Super Contest. Dirtiest player in the game, yes. No, no. No one has any doubt about that. But it goes to show you, professional bettors don't bet teams. They bet numbers. And... You might say, well, minus three versus plus four, is it really worth betting both sides? It is if you have to play five games. In these contests, you got to play five games. That fourth and fifth game is often just about, can I get something that's not a bad pick? And if the market is at four and you're laying three, well, you kind of know that's not a bad pick. Now, I will say, if you actually like the other side, you probably don't want to just take the one point of value, but Fez is such a slave to the market. I mean, it's really your master, the market. There's Would you no agree doubt. With that? There's no doubt about it. If I can lay three in a game that's four at the time, it is almost impossible to get me from doing it. But the fact is, if you bet the game at plus four, you liking it is worth less than a point. 
Well, the three. Go look is in so, the mirror, buddy. Yeah. There Have you a go. little more faith in Fezzik. I don't know what your mom and dad did to you, but just look in the mirror and say, "I'm worth it. I'm okay. I'm the only two-time Super Contest champion." Like just positive affirmations. Yes. <laughs> Straight out of Vegas. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Jonas, I've got a take, and it's on the Browns-Steelers game. Now, you might think I'm gloating because I'm a Steelers fan, but it's actually about the Browns. Yeah, and it was the Pittsburgh Steelers who remain undefeated, RJ. Your Pittsburgh Steelers, 38-7 all over the Cleveland Browns. And for Cleveland, not a good day for Baker Mayfield, who was pulled a little banged up going in, but not good numbers coming out. Yeah, and from what I sensed, there was no sense from the coach. It it was like on merit pulling him as much as you got a guy that, at least from what I heard, had to take a shot. And again, this is just... Uh, is that what you heard? Okay. And, you know, just want to be careful about saying that if it's not 100% report is what I was trying to do, but it sounds like you had seen it verified. Is if a guy like that, if the game's over, then why why let him take hits, right? And I know Brady Belichick, it's always the way to get better at football is playing football. And I do agree with that generally. Like when a guy gets hurt in the fourth quarter in a blowout and you're like, why was he in there? It's like, well, that's the point. They hardly play football anymore. You know, they got to play some. But Baker was banged up coming in. But here's what I know. Most NFL batters have very little knowledge of X's and O's. I have little knowledge of X's and O's. But one of the thing, things in the last five years or so I've really tried to do is I've really tried very hard to grow with the X's and O's. And what I would say for sure is that Baker Mayfield is the type of quarterback that when his team is able to run the ball, they're able to be, in a way, a game manager. Baker is a very good game manager. Maybe as good as any quarterback doing that. But when he's forced to throw from behind, forced to be in these must-throw downs, he drops off a cliff. And to me, that's the main difference between the great quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks is that when it's third and 12 in Brady's prime, he was going to have a real chance to complete it. When it's third and 12 and you know Baker's going to throw, he's in with that big group of good, like a Kirk Cousins, that looks like that they're horrible in certain spots. And maybe he's going to evolve in his career But if the Browns are favored by seven in a game coming up soon, don't think about how bad he looked here. Think about how good he looked against Dallas because when they can set the agenda, the Browns offense, Baker does a heck of a job in that role of quarterback. It's just against the rare team that can stop the run like the Steelers. The Browns are going to have big problems. I think that's a takeaway we can benefit from the rest of the year.